How's everybody doing this morning? There I am. <laughs> I just want to say hello to all the new guys. Uh, I see a couple new families in here. So glad you guys are connecting with us. I uh, hope you've uh, been blessed already and pray that you'll continue to be blessed. Um, glad you guys are here. Uh, thanks so much, by the way, for everybody. I wasn't here last week. Uh, for those of you who are regulars, you know that. Uh, my dad was in the hospital up in uh, Knoxville, just outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. He had some internal bleeding, and he was passing out, and so it was a little bit scary. So we drove up. My brother came up with us, and uh, we were there in the hospital for about a week. Um, thank you guys so much for praying for us. We can feel you guys' prayers. Uh, also, thank you to the leadership team here at DCF um, to make it just seamless. We never were concerned or worried at all about how things were going. Uh, Diane preached, so, so excited about that. I was thrilled that she did that. Uh, it was real super short notice, so we were super excited that she did that. Um, and also, um, my, just kind of a little bit about where my daddy is right now. He is out of the hospital. He's back home. He's resting. Uh, he's doing real, real well. He had internal bleeding, but they could not find the source of the bleeding. So he's going to come home. He's going to be stable for a little while, and they're going to bring him back in about six weeks to um, do some more testing and hopefully figure out what's actually going on with him. So um, again, thank you guys so much for praying. Um, it's been really good. And thank you for your support and all the other ways that you guys bring it as well. I want to preach a message this morning. It's a little bit different. And uh, I want to start by saying in 1989, some of you guys weren't born yet, most of you were, <laughs> uh, 1989, I was a sergeant in the Air Force uh, stationed in, um, in a little base just outside of London, England, so we're about 90 miles from London. And uh, everything was new, I'd grown up my whole life in Alabama, hadn't been out of the state more than just a few times, and so um, England was a surprise. They told us that you know it was very similar to... America because they spoke the same language. That was a big lie. <laughs> and so we got over there, and so a lot of things were happening, but um, we gave our lives to Christ. Um, um, I was 20 when that happened, October, uh, in early, uh, just the late part of the 80s. And so we had been called into the ministry. We were plugging into our church. God was doing some phenomenal things. It was revival. Um, and in the world, some things were going on, uh, and America invaded Panama. Uh, some of you guys remember that, and, you know, kicked out Noriega and that whole debacle. And uh, so that kind of connected with, the, with what was beginning to happen in our church because our pastor had, had been in Panama and helped develop a, a, a servicemen center there. And, uh, and the denomination came and asked him if he would go and help rebuild that servicemen center. He was the pastor of ours uh, there in England. And, uh, and we were right in the midst of revival. And many of us, many of the young leaders, several of us have been called in the ministry, um, we had re-enlisted um, to be there, to stay there at that base and help build in that church. So we, you know, we, we really were all in in so many ways. And our pastor, was, he was amazing, he was a wonderful man. God was moving by his spirit, he was powerful, people were getting saved. We were seeing some incredible things, signs and wonders, miracles, just amazing, amazing things. The gifts of the spirit were moving among us in beautiful ways. And so we, we just knew this is gonna, there's going to be a breakthrough here. God's going to have, you know, there's going to be revival. Already was happening. Uh, the church was growing in leaps and bounds, and uh, he said that he was leaving, and he was leaving the church, and he was going to go help in Panama. And so, you know, we, we tried to be, um, I tried to be kind, <laughs> but I wasn't good at it. So, so I went to him, and I'm like, Pastor, I don't think this is right. I don't think this, and everybody we talked to was like, this is not right. This is way wrong. And he said to us, well, you know, the Bible says to submit to those who are over you. And so that's what I'm doing. And, you know, I've taught you guys that, and you understand submission. And I was like, yeah, but something about it didn't set well with me. And so I went back, and I read some of the scriptures about submission, and I still do. <laughs> and I read, and this one particular one was it said, submit to those who are over you in the Lord. And that's a really short phrase with really powerful implications. And so what we discovered was that God doesn't always get his way. And some of you guys who are like, well, God's sovereign, yeah, and ultimately, God's going to get his way. But there are moments that God doesn't get his way. And one way I know, Scripture says, says a bunch of things about this, but one, it says that God never created hell for us. He created hell for devil and his, the devil and his angels. And it says that, that God isn't willing that anyone should perish, but people are perishing. So God doesn't want people to perish, but people are perishing. So he's not getting his way in that. Does that make sense? And so we were on the, in the midst of this incredible revival. God was doing incredible things there. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden, it just started falling apart. And, and the enemy was just taking advantage. It just felt like a massive storm, and it was just it overwhelmed us. 
And then um, right after that, Desert Storm kicked off, and uh, I went over, you know, to, to, to the desert for a while and um, came back, and we were in the process of being ordained with that denomination. And while we were there, I felt like God said, I don't, I don't want you to do that. And so we came back, and that created a big mess. So it was just a huge mess. But, but during that transition time when our pastor was leaving, they sent a guy over from the, from the denomination. He was an administrator. Um, he was not a very good preacher. And he came over, and he preached a message that I despise to this day. And the name of the message was, let us go over to the other side. <laughs> and so he, he, he took his passage out of the passage that I'm going to take my passage out of this morning. So to my knowledge, I don't think I've preached on this scripture. I've read it, talked about it, ministered out of it many, many times, but actually preached a sermon I don't think I have. And some of that reluctance was just my anger, if I'm honest, and just um, the manipulation that, that this guy came and brought over because he, you know, he had to... He had to kind of placate us because it was a mess, and it was the church. The church was churning. It was we were all angry because we didn't feel like this was the will of God, and the denom- denomination was forcing the, their hand on this. And and again, it just felt like administrative mindsets were taking over without really leaning into what the Lord was doing. If I'm honest, it just felt like the devil, you know, took over. And so I was really angry for a long time about that message, and so. Um, I think the, the worst part of it was it, it was it was so condescending. It was almost as if, you know, hey, it's okay that we're doing this all wrong. It's okay that we're pushing back against God. It's okay that we're ignoring the fact that God's got a plan here and we're just overriding it and just doing what we, you know, what we want to do is best. And so, so part of that was it gave me a tremendous disdain for church politics. I hate church politics to this day. I despise it. I, I despise everything about church that is from the world and from the enemy. Um, some of that's just human, um, human nature, broken people trying to lead. But there is a challenge that, that God brings to us as leaders that says, hey, at some point you need to step into a place of maturity, right? As parents, at some point you need to be, you know, more mature than your kids. <laughs> it's just a thought. But, you know, God's like, he's challenging us to step into some new places. So I came out of that moment and, you know, I, and I was, again, like I said, I, I love that passage, that story in there, and we're going to talk about it today. But I was, I was really angry with that. And, and what's fascinating is last week, um, I woke up, this was actually when I was up in Knoxville, woke up at about 4 o'clock in the morning, which I hate when the Lord does that because I really like to sleep. <laughs> and so I woke up about 4 o'clock with that scripture in my head. Let us go over to the other side. I'm like, no. You know? <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to talk about that, Lord. I still have some frustration I'm dealing with from that whole perspective. And I was like, so anyway, I leaned in, and I'm like, God, what are you doing? What is this all about? So I just want to read this passage to you, and then I'm just going to make a few comments on it. But I, I really wanted to come back and continue the message, the series that I started three or four weeks ago um, that, that got interrupted with community groups. And, of course, that happens, and we, we do that on purpose. And then also I was away for a week. So I was really eager to get back and preach into this series that, we've been, that we started called The Wisdom and the Power of God. And I'm eager to continue that. And so I'm, I'm hoping that I get to jump back in next week. But I could not, if I'm honest, I could not go into the thing I wanted to do until th- I did the thing I felt like God said I have to do. And so I want to preach this message because I think this is where we are as a church. I think this is where you are personally. I know this is where I've been for a while. And so I want you to hear this with an open heart and say, God, you, you interrupted some things so that this message could come to me today. So I just would challenge you this morning just to, just again, open your heart and, go, and just ask, God, will you, will you speak to me? from this message, because I think there's, there's something the enemy's trying to do that the Lord wants to thwart. And so we're going to go after that. So let me just read this passage. This is Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was, talking about Jesus, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall or storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? <laughs> what an interesting thing to say to Jesus. Verse 39, he says, it, it got up. He got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? What a challenge, right? 
And then it ends with verse 41. It says, they were terrified. The disciples were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. It's an incredible story. Probably most of us have read it, been aware of it for a while. But let me just give you a little bit of context. Coming out, before they get into the boat to go over to the other side, um, Jesus had been preaching into some parables, and the crowds were gathering, and he was preaching, and it, it got to the place where um, he had to get out into a boat and preach to the crowds from the boat, because it, it was just growing. Karen and I had a, an opportunity to go to Israel um, a while ago, and <clears throat> one of the, one of the most, most favorite things that, that we had uh, uh, the privilege to do was to go out on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. I've got a picture, if, if we can put it up there, of the Sea of Galilee. This is just a beautiful picture looking up the hill kind of toward where Jesus would have preached the, um, the Sermon on the Mount. It's very interesting. The Sea of Galilee sits in the Rift Valley, and it's very, very low. And because it's low, it's very warm most of the time. Um, it's way below sea level. As a matter of fact, it, it, it empties out eventually into the Dead Sea through a river, to the Jordan River, into the Dead Sea. And it's the lowest river, I mean, lowest lake on the planet. It's, it's an incredible place. It's very, very salty. You can float in it without having to swim. It's just, which we did, was a lot of fun. Uh, but the, the Sea of Galilee is beautiful. It's, it's a gorgeous place. Um, it sits almost in a bowl. At the deepest, it's probably about 40, 45 feet, and it comes up shallow toward the edge. <clears throat> There's tremendous uh, fishing involved in there, and for the most part, almost year-round, it's calm. Just like this picture, that's what it looks like probably 90 to 95% of the, of the entire year. But when storms come in, they don't come in slowly. They come in really, really fast because it, it, the storms will break over the top of that rift and come down into that, that valley so fast that fishermen get caught out into the middle of this lake because they, they don't have time. Even today, with, with modern you know, boats and engines, they can't get back in time. Usually the waves aren't too bad. Um, they have a, a lot of storms, and the waves will get up to about four feet. But they've actually recorded on video, it's, they've recorded higher ones, but on video they've actually recorded waves of 10 feet in the Sea of Galilee. So imagine the boat that Jesus was in was not necessarily a modern boat. It wasn't really big. It wasn't like a rowboat, but it was bigger than that. Um, but it was a pretty good-sized boat. But when those storms rolled in, when you terrify, and this is some of the things that you see with these, these, uh, these fishermen, when they were terrified, in the middle of that lake. Um, I don't know if you know fishermen, <laughs> but it's hard to terrify a fisherman on the water. If that's just kind of who they are, they're out there, they're used to that kind of stuff, and they were absolutely terrified. So this, this, uh, this storm comes in. So let me just go back and just kind of make some, some comments about some of these passages. It says, the day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. So let me tell you the first thing you need to really understand about what happens when you enter a storm in your life, Right? Storms are coming. Jesus said, um, don't think that I didn't come to bring a sword. I did come to bring a sword. You're not, it, there's not going to be peace. There's going to be peace some of the time, but there's going to be battles, and there's going to be a war. You are born in a war. You cannot like it. You can not want to fight. You can lay down and, and curl up into a ball. You can do whatever you want, but it's not going to stop the war from happening. So it's better to just learn how to be a warrior, right? Um, I did martial arts a lot in my early life, and one of the things, uh, one of the philosophies we had is it's just better to be a warrior in a, in a garden than a gardener in a war, right? And so, so Jesus is trying to train us up. He's trying to remind us, hey, I've, I've, I've actually brought you into a mission. I didn't bring you into comfort. Comfort will come and comfort will go. Happiness will come and happiness will go. Joy can be forever. Once you find joy, joy doesn't have to leave. But joy is not the same thing as happiness. And there are going to be moments in your life, especially as a disciple, as you're learning who Jesus is and what he's doing, you're going to learn some things and you have this picture. And often we have a romantic idea of what things ought to be, what marriage should look like, what kids should look like, what my career should look like, what politics should look like, you know, how people should treat us. We have all these romantic ideas and then we have reality, right? Because we live in a very, very broken world where storms can come up really, really fast. Storms in your finances, and I think Kristen mentioned that. You know, some of the battles that we fight, finances in your relationships. Storms can come up into your career, in your marriage. They can come against your kids. They can come against your health. And usually when they come, they often come really, really fast. Sometimes it came because you didn't prepare well. Sometimes you prepared perfectly. You did everything you were supposed to do, and you're still ending up a storm. And if we're honest, when we've hit those moments, sometimes we've been absolutely terrified. 
And the first thing we do, unfortunately, is we tend to accuse God rather than talk to him or ask him questions. So Jesus, what he did when he invited these guys into this boat, he said, let us, Jesus said to his disciples, let us, not me, us, go over to the other side. So here's the thing. Jesus said, I'm on mission. You've been watching me. He, he'd done, he pr- preached these parables. He'd done miracles already. They'd seen the power of God move in this man's life. They were beginning to understand Jesus may be different than some of the other rabbis that we've been hanging out with. And they were beginning to entertain the idea that he was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. And at some point, they were going to come into the understanding that he is God. He's come here as a man, but somehow he is, he is a man, but he is God in the form of a man. And I don't understand that completely. I'm sure they were like, I, I don't get this completely, but there's something about this guy that's different than anybody I've ever met. And then Jesus says, we are going over there. So here's what the first thing you have to understand. The only safe place in a storm is with the one who can calm a storm. There is no other place that's safe. I've been in hurricanes, I've been in storms, I've been, I've been caught in storms in airplanes in the Air Force. It's some of the craziest, most fearful place you can be in a storm. If you've ever been in a hurricane, right before the eye hits of a hurricane, I've been in the midst of a tornado, all those things, it is absolutely terrifying because it seems like all the normal things that are important go out the window because all, you do, all you're doing is just fearing for your life. I got to find somewhere safe, I got to be protected, right? And you look for somewhere safe and you think this is really safe and then a storm comes down, a tornado comes down and plucks that thing, whatever it is, right off of the ground or a hurricane comes in and floods it. it there just isn't necessarily a safe place in this fallen, broken world except for Jesus. And so Jesus said, if you will come with me, this is the promise he began to make to them and he's made this to you as a disciple this morning. If you come with me, if you will join me when, in the mission that I am on, I am inviting you into the mission. I'm inviting you into something God has called us to do and with that come challenges. There come some, some responsibilities that you have to take hold of but there also come some benefits and one of those benefits is protection. Jesus said this, and, and I'm sure they remembered this when he, when he said this. They remembered this moment in the storm. Jesus said this about the cross. He said, no man takes my life. I give it freely. So when they came to Jesus, and you know, Peter jumps up and cuts the guy's ear off with the sword, and Jesus grabs the ear and puts it back on. Wouldn't you love to have been in that moment? Maybe not, because <laughs> the other aspects of it. But wouldn't you have been the scene just put an ear back up and all the blood and then it heals and the guy's just standing there like, you know, did that actually happen? Did I imagine my ear got caught up? And Peter's over there swinging his sword. You know, it's like, let's take him on, Jesus. And sometimes that's me, right? And Jesus is like, hold up. You live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. And all he was saying was that there isn't a time, it's not that there's not a time for a sword, because later on he told them, you can take a sword with you when you go on this discipleship journey to protect yourself on the road. There's nothing wrong with a sword for self-defense, but that's what not, not what Peter was doing. Peter was trying to take advantage of physical violence to accom- accomplish the will of God. And Jesus was just simply saying to them, you have to submit to me and to the plan and the will that I have. This is the only way that you're ever going to be safe. If you go after it yourself, in, even in your strength, you'll find yourself in weakness, right? And so Jesus says, we are going to go over to the other side. And then Jesus went, because he was tired from, from his preaching, all the ministry he'd done, he went and he laid down and he took a nap. <laughs> and then this storm rises. Let me just kind of read it to you. It says, uh, he, they over to the other side, headed over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. They took him along just as he was. He was tired. Um, they put him in the boat. There was also other boats with him. It's kind of an inter- interesting little side note where Jesus, you look out and there are other boats that people, are, they're not going to wait for Jesus to come back to preach to them. They're going to go where he's going. So they're like, we don't know who this guy is, but I want to be around him. So they jump out there with him. Verse 37 says, a furious squall, an incredible storm came up and it came up suddenly. And the waves broke over the boat, so the waves were really, really big. They were breaking over the boat until it was nearly swamped. The, the original language says it, it, was, it was completely filled. The boat was filling with water. Jesus was sleeping with waves coming over the top. It's splashing on him. The storm is flying everywhere, and they're watching this, and they're like, what is going? He's literally just, are you just going to lay there? And so this is my, it comes up on my favorite part. It says, Jesus was in the stern, 
sleeping on a cushion, the disciples woke him and said to him, they wake Jesus up and say to him, not Jesus, will you rescue us? Wouldn't you think that would be the right thing to say, right? But they were, can I just say, that they were mad at Jesus. And the way I know they were mad at Jesus, listen to what they said. Teacher. Now they just said that because they, they had to, right? They didn't really want him to be the teacher. They weren't really submitted to him as a teacher in this moment. They're just saying it. It was formal. So they were just, teacher, don't you care if we drown? So here's what we do. So often in our lives, we try to wake Jesus up in the midst of our storms. Not to ask him even to rescue us. Not to say to him, hey, I just want to submit to you, Jesus. Jesus, would you talk to me a little bit about the storm? Will you remind me again of your kindness and your goodness and your faithfulness? Would you help me remember all of the miracles that you've done before so somehow I can raise my faith to believe that in this storm, you're going to take care of me. I'm going to be perfectly fine because I'm with you. I'm on mission with you. And if nobody can take your life, then nobody can take my life either. I have to give it away. And I've already given it away to you. Like, that would have been better, don't you think? I mean, it would have been a longer portion in the Bible if they'd said that. <laughs> That's my version. I'd like to think I would have said that too, but I wouldn't have. You know what I'd have said? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Here's what we do. Instead of asking Jesus, Lord, I want to understand, or simply digging deep and going, Lord, I don't understand. If you help me understand, I love that. But if I'm honest, whether you help me understand or not, I'm going to submit to whatever you say do. And if you do nothing, if you just lay there and sleep and take a nap, then I'm going to trust that that's communicating to me that I'm probably going to be all right. But you know what we do? We try to wake Jesus up and literally invite him into our panic. That's what we do. Have you ever done that? So don't you care if we drown. So here's the thing. We, if we're not careful, we subtly accuse God. But there's a lesson. Part of this, I believe Jesus was like, I, I could have stayed awake. <laughs> right? I could have. I mean, they were staying awake. He could have stayed awake, imagine. And imagine with water splashing him in the face, it would have been even easier. But I think in, the, in so many ways, I think he took a nap on purpose, and he was going to teach them. And when this storm came up, the enemy's coming up and going, you know what? I'm going to thwart the mission that Jesus is on. So we have this idea, and unfortunately churches help develop this. Um, I know modern religion has, most of the religions, have this concept of good and evil, right? We're in a battle for our lives, and you know, we just got to fight, and you know, there's good, and there's evil, and it's touch and go, and it's not at all true. <laughs> Nowhere in the Bible. Does it say that God's up there wringing his hands going, I don't know what the, the devil's on the move and I just don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, oh, myself, what am I going to do, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> it's nowhere in the Bible. It doesn't occur at all. The whole process, when you le read the scripture and you see it in context, what you see is God had a plan from the beginning. And, it's, and Karen's brought this out many, many times. We preached into it. But, but the picture is, the Bible says, from it's, this is in the book of Revelation, so at the end of the Bible, and, and the promise of everything finishing out, and it's all done, this, you know, the, the universe is wrapped up like a scroll, all those things are true, and it's finished, and in the passage in Revelation, it speaks all the way back before Genesis 1, before time began, all the, all the way back, and it says, before time began, a lamb was prepared to be slain. A lamb was slain before the foundations of time. And in this passage in the Gospels, we talk about it at Christmas time, there's this incredible story where it says, in the fullness of, G of time, Jesus was born into the earth. The Roman roads, the, the languages that existed, all of these things, it was the perfect timing for the Messiah to come and lay his life, to live a perfect life and lay his life down on the cross. It's almost as if God has a plan. <laughs> but we don't treat it like that. And we also say, if we're not careful, we say that in this plan, it doesn't matter what I do. And that's also not true. If that's, not, if that's true, then why do you pray? If that's true, why should you even want some? I hear people say this all the time, and it's the stupidest, it's the stupidest Facebook theology I think I've ever heard, and I've, I've heard a lot, right? And that's, well, everything happens for, the, for a reason. 
And what they mean is that it's all messed up and I don't have a clue and it's not what I want it to be. But you know, I'm sick because Jesus wanted me to be sick because he's trying to teach me something. Really? Is that what, is that what you think? Well, the storm came up because, you know, Jesus brought the storm so he could teach the disciples. It's not what it says at all. The storm comes up because there's a broken, fallen humanity that has been developing in its brokenness deeper and deeper into the brokenness for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Sinning, men sinning against men, fathers sinning against sons, pouring out over and over sinfulness into the world. The world that we live in has gotten steadily better because of the presence of Christians and change. 175 years is what it took for England to stop the economy of slavery in the world. 175 years, more than one generation, it took to stop slavery being the backbone of the economy of one of the greatest nations, greatest kingdoms on the earth. And it took 175 years. And the atheists were not for it. They were for the money, right? And it took Christians rising up and taking their place in authority in the world to bring an end to slavery. One of the greatest evils that our world has ever known, at least in that area, there's still slavery. I think that right now there's over 10 million slaves in the world, even now, in, modern, in the modern world. And my point is, it does matter what you do. Ultimately, when it's all said and done, God's going to be God. The world's going to be what it is. He's going to have made some decisions. The Bible says those who believe and are baptized are saved. Those who don't are damned. And, and the issue is not whether you know I'm just born into it and there's nothing I can do about it. It doesn't matter what I do or what I say. There's a part that you play. We talk about this all the time. There's co-laboring. But in our co-laboring with God... What is my part and what is God's part? I can't calm storms unless the Jesus inside me is willing to calm the storm. So the issue isn't can you or can't you? Can we pray for people? Can we see people healed? The answer is absolutely yes. But I can't heal anybody. The only way I can heal somebody is in the name of someone else. Right? So it's not my power that I'm healing someone, you see this throughout Scripture, Peter steps up and, and, and people want to worship him for doing a miracle. And he says, are you crazy? <laughs> like, in essence, are you, do you think that there's any power in us to do this? That's not where this power comes from. And he immediately points them back to Jesus and said, I am submitted on mission in the kingdom to the only one who can bring this kind of power to bear. And, and Paul stood before kings and he'd say things, crazy things to kings just to tick them off, it seemed like. But all he's doing is just answering honestly about who God is. And he says to one king, he said he was talking about the gospel, and he's preaching the gospel to the king at the chance that the king is going to take his life. And, and, and Paul says, I, am, I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. And he goes back and he looks to the moment that he's caught on that road. He's been, he's been going out killing Christians. He is against Christianity. He is anti-Christ systemically antichrist, along with the local government, he is trying to stamp out Christianity. And Jesus meets him on the road and says, hey dude, I've got some stuff I want to talk to you about and a life that I want you to live. Will you submit to me? And he blinds him and it's pretty ridiculous what happens. And Paul remembers this when he's having the conversation with the king and he realizes this king may be a king here, but he's nothing compared to the king there. And he takes a stand against him. And this is what he said, and it's so powerful. He said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Jesus came to Paul on that road, and he said, Paul, let us go over to the other side. And I would imagine most of you in this room, some point in your life, Jesus came to you and said, hey, <laughs> let us go over to the other side. So who gets to decide the other side. You? Because if you do, you're the Lord. But if he does, he's the Lord. And with him being the Lord also comes benefits that you can't bring about in your own strength or your own power. So what's the answer to being safe? The answer is, I'm on mission. I know what Jesus has called me to do. And I don't mean, you know what, if you preach the gospel, you know, if you get called to preach and you go to seminary, then Jesus, you're going to be safe. <laughs> right? That's not the call. 
Your call, maybe, maybe it's to be in business. Maybe your call is a, being a mom. Maybe your call is, I, I, I have a heart for um, the, the broken. I have a heart for young people. I have, whatever it is that Jesus has come to you somewhere in your life, and he's promised, as Karen was sharing earlier, there is a destiny for you tied to me. I've made you a certain way. I've given you gifts and strengths and passions and desires. I've bent you in a certain way. You're different than the guy or the person you're sitting next to, but I've called you into something that's way bigger than you. And because of that, I'm going to empower you to fulfill the mission that I've called you to. I have given you a destiny. I have given you a purpose. And it doesn't have to be world-changing because it all is world-changing. How many of you guys know the name of the guy who won Billy Graham to Jesus? Anybody know his name? He was a Sunday school teacher. And I've known his name, and I read it, and I was like, that's important, I should remember that. So when I preach next time, I can impress you guys. But I can't remember his name. But when I get to heaven, I imagine his house is going to be pretty big. Right? Maybe bigger than Billy's. Because he was faithful. God said to him, I want you to lead these 10-year-old boys, whatever, whatever age, and I want you to love them, and I want you to teach them about Christ. And somewhere in that place, Billy Graham had an encounter with Jesus that led him to be one of the greatest evangelists that has ever lived in all of time. I mean, on par with some of the, some of the greatest evangelists that ever lived in Scripture. But you don't know his name. You know Billy's, but you don't know that other guy, Right? So it doesn't matter what the call is. The other side, whatever the destination is, makes zero difference. Yours is different than mine. It makes no difference. But if Jesus called you to it, you can rest assured that you are not only safe, you are absolutely invulnerable. So I went to Desert Storm, and I'd been called in the ministry, just a kind of a side note, and I said, Lord, have you brought me, like the Israelites, like the disciples in the boat, have you brought me out here to die? <laughs> right? You called me into ministry, and you put me out here in danger where they're dropping these scuds on us on a regular basis, and these things have the chance of killing me. And I heard the Lord say to me, you're not going to die. I have plans for you. I have big plans for you. I've got a whole call on your life, and you're not, you're not going to get called to preach, and you've preached enough. I have some things for you to do. You're good. You're, you're, you're not going to die. So me being in my early 20s, you know, I was super humble, like all of us. And I rose up and said, well, fine then. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to worry. I'm just going to be careless. And then I had this thought when one of the scuds was coming in and they got the call to put on all your mop gear and to go in, you know, your chem gear and go in, get in the hole, you know, with the sandbags all around. And I heard this thing in my heart. Um, he didn't say I was coming back with all my arms and legs, though, did he? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that was just God's humor, right? So I was the first one in the hole and the last one out for the whole of Desert Storm, right? So there's a part, again, don't be stupid. Don't, be, don't manipulate. Don't try to manipulate God. Just recognize that he's, if he's called you on mission, if he's given you a destiny, if he's given you a purpose, then just go do that and trust the Lord. If your time comes, and it will, everybody's time will come. I read somewhere, statistically speaking, 10 out of people... 10 out of 10 people die. So there's a good chance you're going to be one of those 10 at some point. But the question is not, and we've heard this, the question is not how you die or when you die, it's how you lived, right? Are you living with the call of God on your life? Or somehow have you gotten distracted to the point where in the midst of the storm, you forgot that Jesus has given you a purpose and a plan. You've gotten off on your own purpose and plan. And the only concern you have is fear that somehow you're not going to get to do what you want, right? Or you're not going to get to be married if you're single. Or you're not going to get to make the kind of money that you're going to have the house or the fame or whatever it is that you feel you deserve, right? And so when that happens, fear overwhelms you. Why? Because there can only be fear or faith. They can't exist at the same time. Does that make sense? Fear, both fear and faith are all about the unknown future. Fear says, I don't know what's going to happen. It's probably going to be bad, <laughs> right? Faith says, don't know what's going to happen, but Jesus is in control. As long as I stay on mission and stay with him, I can trust whatever he does. You know, the whole reason, you know, that silly song, Jesus take the wheel, 
only reason you, she was singing that is because she took the wheel in the first place, and Jesus should have been driving the whole time, right? <laughs> and that's the challenge is we keep trying to take the wheel, and she, we keep trying to direct our life because we're going to help God. Remember Abraham? Remember this? He said, God said, hey, I'm going to do something. And Abraham's like, yeah, that's awesome. It's crazy because I'm super old. And so 10 years go by. And it was, you know, it was crazy before. Now it's really, really crazy. And it's to the point of laughter, which is what they're going to name their son, ironically, right, later on. <laughs> and, and, and Abraham's like, you know, you know what God needs? God needs some help. That's what he needs to help accomplish what he's going to do in my life. So they come up with this great plan about, you know, sleeping with the maid. And, you know, and, and so now there's been wars ever since because of those two kids and the challenge that God's like, that was not my plan, Abraham. I'll work with what you've given me, but it was not my plan. Does that make sense? So God's called us into this incredible thing, in this journey that we're on. And we're in the middle of it until we're at the end of it. At some point, I hope you come, if you outlive me and you come to my funeral, and people say wonderful, nice things about me, I could care less. I'm not there. <laughs> I'm in heaven going, this is amazing. Like, and people are like, oh, I just wish Dave was back. And I'm up here going, shut up. Don't pray that stuff. I'm staying up here. Right? I ain't coming back. You'll be here soon enough. Don't worry about it. You'll get here. But, but is that a pipe dream or is that a reality in your heart that, that the enemy can't do anything to take away the hope that is in you because the hope that's in you, first of all, isn't yours. And second of all, it isn't here. It's not even there. It's Him. That's the only thing that makes heaven heaven. Not because we get to walk on streets of gold and get big houses, right? That's Hollywood. <laughs> that's California. That, that's luxury living right here and now. But what are we after? Because heaven's not going to be heaven if you don't like God. That's what hell is for, people who don't want to be with God. That's literally all hell is. is there has to be somewhere for someone eternally because you can't not be eternal. God made you that way has to be somewhere for people who don't want anything to do with God. So that's what hell's all about. But what is heaven about? Heaven's not about the place, the things. I can't imagine. There's so many things. I have some ideas. Scriptures give some of that. But at the end of the day, heaven has to be about Him. Jesus said, let us come connect with me. Walk with me. That was his promise. We pray for people all the time. In modern church, we say, how do you get saved? Well, you pray the sinner's prayer. No, you don't. Sinner's prayer, if the sinner's prayer doesn't come from a heartfelt response of believing in who Jesus is and what he did for you, that prayer is worthless. It's actually dangerous because you think you've come into the kingdom and you haven't. And there are tons of people in churches who think they're Christians that are not. So the issue has nothing to do with that. The issue is, do you know him? And what happens when you get to know him, when you really begin to see his goodness and his kindness and his love and his mercy, and the fact that he comes and he reconciles you and saves you and doesn't go, oh, now I have you, I could care less about anybody else. He turns you around and says, I've reconciled you and I've now put you on the mission that I'm on to go help reconcile your brother. So love deeply from the heart. We talked about this with, with community groups. Why? Why do we do community groups? Because we need you to do something that makes us, look how many people we have in community groups. We're successful as a church. <laughs> right? So we could care less about that. We do this because our culture doesn't naturally act, actually help you gather together. So we challenge you to do it, to be intentional about gathering together. Because if you don't, you're not going to build real relationships. And like Karen said, you're not going to be along with people of the light to push back the darkness. And so the disciples were together. They come and they pray. Verse 39. He, Jesus, got up. <laughs> I have a picture in my head of how that looked. <laughs> and my thought was, when I really begin to understand that, I thought when he says he got up and he rebuked them. That's what I thought it was going to say. Because they had it coming, let's be honest, right? You had it I've had it coming. But what does it say? He got up. And he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. The modern version of that word in the original language is, he put the storm on mute. <laughs> he just said, shut up. Stop talking. I don't, talk to the hand. Right? <laughs> Listen, then the wind died down and it was completely calm. 
So Jesus didn't bring the storm. But when the storm came, he had power over that storm. So the position again is if Jesus has invited you into the journey, then you get the benefits of safety, protection, right? But also provision. Provision means for the vision. Whatever you need for the vision. So the decisions you make in the economy, let me give you a simple example. You should learn how to understand biblical finance so that you can give generously to the kingdom, so that people can come to know Jesus. This is what you've been called to do. The Old Testament says give 10% of your money, a tithe, right? That's what we've all been taught. That's actually not true. If you go back and study it, it's about 22, 24% uh, that the Israelites would give on a regular basis. So, you know, you need to step up your game if you're going to go under the law. Step it up, right? But what does the New Testament say? I'm, I'm a steward. And everything I have belongs to God. I'm living in a mansion. I'm living in luxury, not because I did it, but because this all belongs to the one I serve. And it's been given to me to steward for his benefit, not mine. So do you do that? When you, when you look at your checkbook, anybody have checkbooks anymore? When you look on your online banking, <laughs> oh, you young whippersnappers, does it reflect the kingdom? Or does it reflect your journey to your side, wherever you're trying to land? Your relationships, your career, everything about it, is it submitted to the plan of God? And if it's not, why not? And the answer, I think, is in this question that comes next. Then he said to his disciples, what's interesting, in his grace, in their fear, he said, I'll deal with that. And he, and he, he calmed the storm on their behalf. Can I, can I just say this? He did not need the storm calmed. He was asleep. Let that sink in. He didn't need the storm calmed. They did. And in his kindness and in his grace, he calmed it for them. But he didn't have to. And then he turns around to them, and this is what he says to them. Here's his incredible rebuke. Stupid disciples, right? That's what he says. Why are you so afraid? That was not a rhetorical question. So let me ask you, we've been relating this to your storm. Whatever you've been in, because a lot of us have been in those storms. I know I have recently. Co- coming out of COVID, the, you, know, all, you know, all the stuff. I don't need to reiterate it. But in this, this storm, what about this storm that you're in is making you afraid? That's not a rhetorical question. That's a question that if you answer that question, you're going to get to the heart of what Jesus basically says next. Do you still have no faith? So faith cannot be the object of itself. You cannot have faith in faith. right? Faith has to have an object. You have to have faith in something or someone. So the question is that, oh, you know, I just, if you just have enough faith, that's the stupidest thing, again, Facebook theology. Just have enough faith. No, no. Do you know the one that you're having faith in so that you can put your faith and your trust in him? And the answer is, if we're honest, most of the time we don't. We don't read our Bible. We, we, we're like, don't have to go to church. You know, don't have church to be a Christian. You also don't have to be at your house to be married, but it's not going to last long. It's not going to be a good marriage, right? So don't be dumb. Right? Don't forsake the gathering yourselves together as some do. Jesus is like, I'm not going to throw them in hell because they didn't come to church, right? But they're going to feel like they're in hell so often because they, they're not in relationship with me and the church that I provided and the love and the community and all the benefits of, of, of the boat they're on and the journey that they're on. So Jesus said, do you still have no faith? And listen to this last scripture and I'll wrap it up with this. They were terrified. Now, what's interesting to me is they were afraid of the storm, but they went from afraid to terrified. So what terrified them? Look at this. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And that is the answer to the question of them not having faith. They answered the question, who is this man? I actually don't know who Jesus is. And so because of that, I'm suffering in fear. I'm no longer, what we sing? I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am what? A child of God. Are you? 
What kind, maybe you had a bad upbringing. Maybe, maybe your parents weren't, weren't good parents. Maybe your dad was distant or, or vacant. Maybe even abusive. Maybe you, maybe you suffered from authority in the past and you're struggling to understand what kind of father God actually is because you maybe didn't have one or had a bad one. And I want to just challenge you. The answer to this journey, the answer to dealing with your fear, the answer to the problems and, the, and even the sin that you find yourself in, the patterns of sin that you find yourself in so often, your sinfulness, you're trying to get something from sin that only God can provide. You see this all the time with pornography. Why pornography? I mean, listen, it, it's way worse than it was when I first encountered pornography when I was a, a young boy. But what is it about pornography that's the draw? It's the promise, here's, here's the, it's the promise of being intimate without having to be intimate. But it's an empty promise. Because it doesn't give you what it promises it will give you because it's not from Jesus, right? Marriage is hard. Um, ask my wife. She's been married to me for 30-something years. <laughs> it's hard. There are days when we're like, I would like to dig your eye out with a spoon instead of eat this ice cream. Now, you, you don't say it. I've learned if you're going to have a, you don't say it. <laughs> there are moments you're like, the thought comes in your head. I'm like, I, don't, I wonder if you, anyway. You give them up. It's, I mean, crazy thoughts because you're sometimes at each other. And what Karen and I have discovered is that as long as we're on the same journey, we, we joke about this all the time, we're going kayaking tomorrow on our day off. And her dad asked us about buying, you know, buying us a kayak one time, which he did, we were very thankful for. And he said, would you, like, would you like me to get you one of those kayak, those double kayaks where the, both of you were in the same kayak? And both Karen and I instantly said, no. <laughs> that is a bad idea for our marriage. But the concept is, same river, two kayaks. That's Okay. Now, some of you guys, in your personality in your marriage, you can, be in two, you can be in one kayak all day long, and you're fine. More power to you. <laughs> Karen and I do not have that ability in our wisdom and our strengths and our gifts and all that stuff, so we have two kayaks, but we're always in the same river. And when we are at odds with each other is when we're too far apart in that same river. We've got to come back together and say, what's God called us to? Are we on mission? Are we headed where we're supposed to be? And when we answer that question, that's the place where we find intimacy, because we found it with Jesus, we can find it with one another. And it meets the promise. If you're trying to find something in your spouse or in a friend or in your career or anything else, even in sinfulness, if you're trying to find something that only God can provide in that place of sin, you're never going to find it. Even in good things, the relationships that God has provided, God will remind you, even the beautiful weather turned bad, weather's not bad. But e even in the good things that, that the world provides, that God has provided for us, if you try to find your hope and your purpose in them, you are going to find yourself coming up short every single time. So I just want to end this with just a simple thing. Has God promised you something? So all of us, he's promised us eternal life with Jesus, right? He's promised us peace. He's promised us to take, he's promised to take fear away from us. Go look up the promises in Scripture. There are so many. I, I could spend all day and not get them all. All of those promises, the Bible says, are yours in Christ. It's the only place those promises exist. Not in doing better. I will shine up. I, I will be more moral. I'll go to church. I'll give. I'll do the right things. None of those things are where you're going to find peace and hope and love and faith or any of those things. You're only going to find it in Jesus, in your relationship with Jesus. But then when you come into that, you look at yourself and go, he has gifted me a certain way. He's called me to certain things. I have a passion for certain things. Certain things frustrate me, and they don't frustrate other people, but they frustrate me so much. There's a clue to your purpose and your destiny in those kinds of things, and your gifts, and your calling, and where God has put you, and all those things. And there are promises. Some of you have prophetic words about what God's going to do in your life. God has come to you and said, in your salvation, we are going to the other side. And even in your life, here and now, in what the mission is for you, God has come to you and said, I'm promising you, we are going to go over to the other side. What has God promised you? He is not going back on his promise. So as we end, I want you to lean in and just go, you know what, I'm not going to wake Jesus up anymore and try to invite him into my panic. I'm going to recognize, first of all, I don't even actually need the storm to be calmed. I just need to know that I'm with Jesus in the storm. And if he calms it, great. And sometimes I can even speak to it. He's given me that authority to speak to certain storms and calm them myself. And that's cool. We do that all the time in our family. We, we were, everywhere we go, everything calms down. 
Just because of Karen and I walk in the room, we just, we're not going to put up with nonsense, and people know that, right? And so maturity begins to rise, and people come up to that, and that there's an expectation. Just literally, we change the temperature of the room because of the maturity that God has given us, and I want to keep growing in that. But I'm just saying to us this morning, there's something God's called you into. There's a purpose. There's a plan that he has for us together in this church to reach this city and impact this region with grace and the power and the ministry and the mature response of the Holy Spirit. He's called us to do that. We are on mission together, and we're going after that. With everything we, we have, COVID didn't kill us. <laughs> the wrong people in the White House haven't killed us yet, so we'll keep praying. <laughs> <laughs> And you might be thinking about this one. I might be talking about the other one. You don't know my political leanings just yet, right? The point is, is none of that makes a difference. Uh, we're going to see joy, fulfillment. We're going to see God do amazing things. We already are. It's the testimonies that God has among us. is incredible. I just want to invite you back into, on this journey, whatever your storm is, did Jesus invite you into the journey? If he did, he's the only one who can calm the storm. And if we're honest, he really doesn't even need to. You just need to know that he's leading you to a place he's called you to. And then settle your trust and your faith in him and go, God, I don't understand. I would love for you to talk to me more about this. I'd like to learn. But in the end, we serve at the pleasure of the king. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? So Jesus, we come to you and we say, first of all, thank you for for being the Lord. God, for being the one that we actually can put our trust and our faith in. Lord, that when we look at what you've asked of us, what you've told us, what you've called us to, Lord, you've never called us any, into anything, Lord, and let us down. Not one single time. We've let ourselves down. We've misunderstood it. We've, we've thought you were calling us into something that we missed. Lord, we've gotten it all wrong a million different ways. But anything, Lord, that you've actually called us into, and we know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, you have never failed us yet and you never will. And so, Lord, we renew again our trust in you, our faith. We say, Jesus, we believe you. Whatever you've called us to, Lord, we submit to that great calling. Lord, we put ourselves on the boat with you. We say, Lord, we're on mission with you. Whatever that other side looks like, Lord, we don't know, but we know because you've called us into it that we're going to reach the other side no matter how many storms come against us, no matter what comes against our life, Lord. Nothing is going to stand in the way of you accomplishing the mission, Lord, accomplishing the mission that you have called us to, Lord, and you've taken on yourself. And so we submit ourselves again and afresh and anew into that mission. And Lord, we say thank you. Keep talking to us, Lord. Keep speaking to the other side, wherever that is. Keep drawing us into that, we pray in Jesus' name. This morning, if you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you up here in the front. We'll have our team ready to go. If not, have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next Sunday.